turn with us to Psalm 21, to Psalm 21, even as we continue going through the book of Psalms together. Of course, we are still in book one of the Psalms right now and about halfway through, just shy of halfway through book one of the Psalms, as it seems to be the great middle point is Psalm 22. Last week, of course, covering Psalm 20 and the confidence in the Lord in battle, and this week we can Continue that theme. Essentially, many people regard these Psalm 20 and Psalm 21 as, as a couple of, of together, that they're supposed to be carried together. So I'm glad that the Lord permitted that we would be working through these together at the same time. So this morning in Psalm 21, would the congregation stand for the reading of the Word of God as we reverence it thereby this morning? In Psalm 21, Psalm 21. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and hast not withholden the request of his lips. Selah. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him even length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him, for thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. For the king trusteth in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High he shall not be moved. Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies, thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour thee. Their fruit shalt thou destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. They imagined a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. Therefore shalt thou make them turn their back when thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. You may be seated this morning. As we go to the Lord in prayer once again, God, I can come to you with nothing but rejoicing in this psalm this morning, rejoicing in the precious, blessed truths that are contained here. God, as we looked last week into that hope, God, we just thank you this week that we get to joy in you and to rejoice in your salvation and your victory over every enemy. God, Father, we just thank you that we have that trust in you and in you alone, God. This morning we pray that you bless us all that you can. We pray you feed your lambs and feed your sheep, God, that you open these things to us, that you graft them into us, that they would bring forth fruit in their due season, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. God, we just praise you and thank you for each and every one of these elements. Lord, we thank you and thy son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. So largely... Of course, we keep reflecting that the, the book of Psalms is collected somehow into these different collections, and it's arranged in a certain fashion, and sometimes it's a little bit bulky, and it's a little bit different than what you and I may understand. I think if we were able to be Jews in this era, we may have been able to better understand the book of Psalms and their arrangement. There's some of that 
that we really need to know. A preacher that I've always admired. He has always said, John MacArthur has always said in so many ways that it's not our duty to get the word of God into today's era, but it is instead to take the people and to put them in the era of the Bible to understand it there. And how mightily that we need to do that sometimes of understanding this. So when we're in, especially book one of the of the Psalms, it's largely King David's Psalms. Most every one of them is attributed to King David in some way. So we see the life of the king is unfolding. It's not every detail. It's not every little story that happened, but it is the retelling of the story of the king, the retelling of God's king for God's people. It's not talking about King Saul, who was the people's king. No, it's talking about King David, who is God's king for God's people. And of course, you and I already know that every time that we're reading in the Old Testament, and somehow, in some way, as all roads in England lead to London, all roads in the New Testament are in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, all roads in the Bible are ultimately leading us to the work of Christ Jesus. But be careful, as one time somebody reminded me, be careful that we don't jump there to begin with, is that sometimes we can immediately look to Christ and say it's fulfilled in Christ, and yes it is, but there may be something that we need to mine out of this. And beloved to me, as I'm reminded, even as it is the Psalms, it is almost a symphony of songs. It's almost a symphony of collections that if you were just to have it played in a concert together, you would have the rises and the falls and how glorious it is to hear that communicated in music. Now, mainly music's not going to do much for us. As pretty as my wonderful mother plays, as pretty as it is, that alone doesn't do anything for us. There's there's no healing in that, as one person pointed out. It's that there's nothing in that, but the words which it carries can bring forth the goodness of God to us that we may see it and receive it. The word of God is, should be communicated to us even in the form of song. And if you want to feel a certain way, you change it. So right now we are in some of these and the symphony is about to turn. And right now we're at one of the highest of the highs in this book of Psalms, but we're about to get to one of the lowest of the lows. But in order to sustain us in the lowest of the lows, sometimes we just need the high experiences. Sometimes we really do. God will take you through a mountaintop type of experience in order that he may sustain you through a valley type experience. I try not to get too much on such things. I don't know. It just feels a little bit awkward to me, but as I just keep reading the word of God, that seems to be what it is. That he even caught Moses up there and he was standing with him face to face and his face was shining so bright they had to put a veil over his face because it was too bright that he was shining from being in the presence of the glory of God that the, the children of Israel could not look upon him. It was a mountaintop experience that he had, but when he came back down, he had to deal with the sinfulness and the brokenness of the people. Beloved, that's where we're at in this capacity today. King David, especially last time as we looked at it, it said in verse 1 of chapter twenty of Psalm 20, it said, The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. So we know that he was in the day of trouble. We know that he was signifying to the children of Israel how to deal with being in the day of trouble. But here in Psalm 21, it's a different story altogether. It's the king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord. Not the king is going to joy in his own strength. And even last week, we were already communicating uh, that we rest ultimately in the strength of God. Not what we are doing. Not the strength that we have, but the strength in God alone. And it says, and in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. That there is rejoicing in the salvation of God. That there is rejoicing in every battle that he has given us. In every circumstance and every situation, he demands us to worship and to 
rejoice in him. I remarked somebody said last night I was reading this and somebody put it this way. He said, why do you exercise the spiritual disciplines? And somebody said muscle memory. Somebody said, we just need to know how to do it when we don't want to do it. We need the muscle memory of it. I was talking about, we've been making several trips up to uh, Floyd County, and if you take me to Floyd Hospital, I can get there in my sleep. It doesn't matter. Any time of day or night, I can get to Floyd County Hospital. You don't even have to have any lights on the road. I think I could just find it by memory because of how many times I've been up there. But this week, I've been having to find Redmond, and I don't know why. For the first few days, it was just confusing to me because I had forgotten the journey. I had not practiced it in so long. I used to. There was a lot of times I used to go up there, but because it had slacked on me in time, because I had not been there recently, my muscle memory had faded, and it was no longer the same journey. My father, he remarked, he said at one point, he said, they change the landmarks every now and then. They paint a building, and it just looks different. When they change the landmarks, things get different on us, and if we don't have the muscle memory to carry us forward, when there is circumstances in our life that call for rejoicing, but some of the landmarks of our life have changed, we don't know how to rejoice unless we have been living a life of rejoicing. There's times that it's just dead. There's times that there's just nothing. There's times that you're just in the Word of God and you're getting absolutely nothing out of it. What do you do? You keep reading. You keep studying. You keep banging against the text. I love, I wish that I had it. I've got it in an email saved somewhere how John Piper describes preaching. He says, there is the beating against the text and the banging against the text until finally the light begins to shine through. And beloved, that's not just in preaching. That's in reading the word of God. There is rejoicing to be had because the king seems to be recalling these battles. It doesn't seem to be that he is actively in these battles. It seems to be that it says the king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. It seems to be that he is knowing on the basis of previous experience, he knows that he will rejoice in this battle. But it is something he is going to do, not just something he has done or is doing, but something that he is going to do. Beloved, that takes muscle memory for us to be able to do. It says, thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholden the request of his lips. Selah. We know that God would not withhold any good thing from us, but sometimes the problem with our heart's desires is, is just that. They're wicked. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So for the king to be able to declare thou hast given him his heart's desires, we know God's not going to give him those good, those bad things, but we know that he has given him good things here and has not withholding the request of his lips. We know that the king has such a connection with God that God has his special favor on them. What does it ultimately mean to be blessed? It ultimately means, as it is saying in verse 3, for thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Now, that word preventest, I really had to look that one up. I don't know about y'all. That word hits me weirdly. Is it he prevents? What do you mean by he prevents? What it is that he is preventing by blessings? It is to say that when he has prevented, he has preceded you with blessings, that there are blessings in your life that you've not even realized just yet, that he has gone before you with his blessings, and he has prevented you from an action that you might take otherwise. And, beloved, so many times we get looking at it, and I just got to thinking this morning, Ms. Terry and I, we're riding around this morning for a little bit. We're doing a couple things. And as we were riding about, I got to thinking about the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel preachers. They're offering you something. They're offering you. And it seems to be we, we had the misfortune of listening to a lot of them on the TV this past week. And uh, as somebody had turned it on for my grandfather to watch, and I, he wasn't paying attention to it, but I was paying attention to it. And I had one. He was just begging for money. That's all that he was doing. Every two seconds, that's all that he was doing. Beloved, I ain't begging you for money. 
I don't think I've ever begged Shed Road for money. I don't think there's any cause for me to beg Shed Road for money. I'll be honest with you, about two months ago, I got worried about things. In case y'all don't know this, that's what I do. I get worried about things. And I started to check on things. And I thought, well, I don't know how the money situation is doing. Beloved Shed Road, y'all are doing far abundantly above what I could have ever thought and imagined. I thought, are we even meeting our expenses? Well, y'all just decided y'all are going to go make sure you go above our expenses and more. So, beloved, I'll be honest with you. I'm praying about we need to be giving to something else. I don't know what it is, but we're praying about what it is that we need to be doing. If God's got money coming into here, it ain't for us to be piling up. It's for us to do something for the kingdom of God. That's what I'm going to tell you about money. Otherwise, I'm not asking you to give more. I'm not asking you to give less. I'm just giving you a status update of where we are. I'm looking at the blessings of God that he had gone before me. He prevented us. And the fact that y'all just keep giving, I'm not going to ask you. Again, I'm not asking you to give more. I'm not asking you to give less. I'm just praising God for what he has done. But if I begin to come in here every week and tell you that if you'll give a little bit more, you'll be a little bit more blessed. Beloved, that seems to be nothing but hogwash to me. And I mean that exactly. It means to be the filth and stinkiness of this world and the uncleanness of all of this. They always tell me that pigs are really clean animals. The problem is every pig I've ever seen is just filthy and nasty. And they have to wash and they have to get cleaned up. But they actually are. Is that they desire to be clean. They just seem to find themselves in an environment that they can never stay clean. I don't know about y'all, that seems to be my life so many times. Seems to be the world that we live in is that I do genuinely desire to be clean. But there's a whole lot of filth out there. There's a whole lot of circumstances that when I come in, I just got to get washed off. I need somebody to come and wash me up. I need God, as it was, as the one preacher used to say, I just need God every now and then to put me in his bathtub and clean me up. That's how, how filthy and nasty that I am. Beloved, sometimes we need to know that he has prevented us with his blessings. Going back to what we mean by the word blessings is, it doesn't just mean money. It might mean money in your life. That might be a particular blessing of God in your life. But I remarked last night, and I thought about it, it was it was some NBA star or something of that nature, and he was talking about he's a multimillionaire over and over again. And in this interview, he said, well, what's it like to be retired and have like, he's got like $300 million or something like that. And he's just an astronomical amount of money. And I said, well, what's it like to have that much money? And he said, it's terrible. And I thought, I don't know, $300 million. I don't know if I would describe it as terrible. And he said, you got to take it. He said, since six, seven years old, we've been shooting hoops. He said, we went to hoop school. We did everything about it. He said, any time that we were doing, we were playing basketball. That's all I've ever known. And all of a sudden, my life has changed dramatically. He said, yeah, I've got money, but I don't know what to do with it all. I thought, well, i got a few ideas for you, but that's going to be on the sidetrack. I can think about what to do with your blessings, but sometimes there are certain blessings in your life that you're going to have to figure out what to do with. You may have the blessing of time and not know what to do with it. i got the blessing of a whole lot of time, and I don't know what to do with it a lot of times. I wind up twiddling my thumbs at the office. I'm just not busy some days. It's just the nature of my job right now. That's going to change in future time, but it's something that I've got to work to. So for right now, I have the frustration. It's a great blessing, and yet so many times I see it as a burden. Beloved, if we're not careful, it may be something in your life that has been a preventing blessing of God that he is actually using you to bring you closer to himself so much that as much of a blessing as it is, you begin to see it as a burden. Beloved, there are opportunities that he puts in our life. I've had countless opportunities put in front of my life this week that I'm looking up at God and I'm like, God, I failed you again. God, I prayed for these opportunities, and yet I failed you in these opportunities. You prevented me with blessings, and yet I still managed to mess it up. You were going before me in your strength, and yet I still managed to mess it up. But you know what the great thing about it is? God has never turned me away one time. There's never been one time in my life that I've ever come back to God 
I've been like, God, would you draw me closer? But he did not draw me closer. Beloved, it's something about resting in the presence of God. And that's communicated even in the fervent of the psalm. It says, grant according, excuse me, I'm back in chapter 20 over there. It says in verse 4, he said, he asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him, even length of days, forever and ever. We look in society today, and we're trying to figure out, I've been listening to, the Wall Street Journal has been covering this the last couple of weeks on a, about one day a week. I listen to a podcast that's a daily one of theirs, but about one day a week, they've been dissecting this issue, and they're saying that we're going to have 60-year careers, that for those my age and younger, well, we're just going to have to put up with it. We're probably going to be working in the marketplace about 60 years before we're finally able to retire with the way that everything's going. And I thought, man, 30 years used to sound like a while, but 60 years, you double that, that that really does sound like a lot. I know some of you have either hit 60 or are about to hit 60. I know, and all of that, I know you're probably looking at me and me like 60 years isn't that long, but 60 years of work is a long time. We take age for granted in the era that we are in. But in the time of King David, age was not something to be taken for granted. Length of life was a really big deal. The average ages that humans were living in this time were much smaller because of different sicknesses, because of different ailments, and different things that medication. I get to thinking about, I've been spending a lot of time in the hospital this week, and I get to thinking about, they can give you a dose of this, and it'll cure that up. They can give you a dose of that, and it'll cure that up. I got curious yesterday in the hospital room, and I was bored with a bunch of time on my hands, so I started looking at this medication list. And it was like three or four pages long of this medicine treats this, this medicine treats that. I look at King David in his time, he didn't have any of those. They didn't know what they, they had other treatments, don't get me wrong, they had other medical things. But length of days was something that he could directly correlate to as a blessing of God. And yet in the United States now, we have people living so long that life becomes a burden in many ways. You reach a certain point in your life and it just burdens you down and it weighs you down. It's a blessing in King David's life, but it might become a burden in some of our lives. There's things we don't know how to navigate. There's things that we don't know how to understand so many ways. Beloved, we have to trust it to God either way. That King David, even when he is looking for this particular blessing, it's because God has given it to him. It says in verse 5, His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hath thou laid upon him. In verse 6, for thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. That he's honored him. He's comforted him with his presence. In verse 7, for the king trusteth in the Lord. And through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. The king was praying that God would hear him. The king was praying that God would remember him. And the king was praying that he would be comforted with the presence of God. All of that last week as we saw in Psalm 20. But this week he has exploded onto the scene. And he is showing that God has done every bit of this. That though he is not worthy of honor, God has honored him. Though he is not worthy of any kind of majesty, God has laid majesty upon him. He has made him most blessed, not just now, but forever. Remember the promise that was given to King David. That it was going to be his heir which was on the throne forever. This was not just a temporary blessing. This was an eternal blessing. You see, going back to that NBA star, I just got to thinking, I thought, poor man, the best thing you could do is probably go find some little league basketball team and begin to coach them. That's probably the best thing you could do. 
if you got so much money, get make sure they got the best entertainment. Make sure are the best uh, training, the best education. Make sure they've got the best of everything in their lives. Just pour yourselves back into them if that's what you want to do. I've coached some kids in something that I used to do, and I've enjoyed that immensely. It was great to be able to pour into them what once had been poured into me. Beloved, it is going on to a next generation. It is going to something that is passed down. One of the best things you can do as a Christian is pass it down to somebody else, is pass these blessed truths on to somebody else. Beloved, the greatest blessings he has given us is oftentimes not what the world thinks. If you have a vehicle, trust me, it's going to break down. You already know that. I already know that. If you have money, eventually you're going to need more money. Or you're going to have to be so dissatisfied with the money that you do have. Eventually something in your life, what once seemed to be a blessing, may not be the blessing it used to be. But I'm finding as I get older, the greatest blessings are the things which are replicated. The things that are passed down. The things that I can think back to. The things that just keep going and going and going. To those lessons my parents taught me when I was young, those are some of the best lessons. To the lessons somebody else taught me. I had the opportunity to reach out to a man the other day that has marked four years since I was in a particular battle and his brother just spoke particular wisdom in my life and I just had to thank him for that. I doubt that he remembers much of that conversation at all. To be truthful with you, I don't remember much of that conversation at all, but here's what I gleaned from that conversation. Keep going. That's what I needed to glean from that is keep going. Every now and then I have to think about that and keep going and knowing that God has so clothed his children with every one of these. Do you see how in Psalm 21 verses 1 through 7 is talking about the way that the Lord relates to the king? That the Lord relates to the king. I could end here and be happy. I could end here and be completely satisfied with the rest of this psalm. But the psalmist gave me some confusion to deal with. He put in here verses 8 through 12 at least. 13 you could have included at the end of 7 and I'd still been happy. But no, he includes verses 8 through 12. He, and it's odd to look at. It says, Thine hand shall find out all thy enemies. Thy right hand shall find out all those that hate thee. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their fruit shalt thou destroy from the earth, and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. They imagined a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. Therefore shalt thou make them turn their back, when thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thine strings against the face of them. I was reading a couple of commentators, and they said, it's probably best understood to understand this as this is actually the king talking. And I thought, hogwash, read it again. It's talking about God's done these things. It's not talking about the king that has done these things. It's talking about that the Lord has done these things. I, read it again. I can't read it any other way. The language that is behind it, as much as I respect these commentators, and I try not to get too higher than thou on the commentators, as much as I try to, beloved, all that I can do in verses 8 through 12 is God did these things. God won against the enemies. God won against the battles. But wait a minute. Isn't it the king who goes to battle? Isn't it the king that goes in and wins these battles? Okay, somebody cocked their head. They're asking questions of this text. You're looking at it. It's a little bit of confusion. Which is it, God? Who's winning these battles? Is the king winning these battles or is the Lord winning these battles? It's clearly presenting it as the Lord's enemies. It's clearly preventing, presenting it as it's the Lord casting them into this judgment. But do you notice that it's the king for God's people? It's God's king for God's people, and he's the one that God is using to win these victories. 
Beloved, he may use you for something in your life that has nothing to do with you. He may be using you that ultimately is not to get you any bit of glory. He may be relating to you in such a way as to show you along what he is doing. Beloved, the more that we understand how greatly God cares for his children, the more assurance we have in the way that he does things. So much so that if it's something that he's done through my life, I'm able to step outside of entirely. It's almost like having an out-of-body experience. You're just able to look at it on the side and say, God, you really did that work. God, you really did that thing. God, that was an enemy of yours, and God, you defeated them. Even though he may have used you, even though he may have used, walked in your life and done these things through you, it ultimately points back to God. King David truly was God's king for God's people. But that's the difference. King David didn't care who got the glory as long as it was God who got the glory. King David didn't want the glory. Let me fix what's going on. King David didn't want the glory. He wanted God to have the glory. Beloved, every element of our life ought to be pointing to God in some capacity. If you're like me, you fail. If you're like me, you fail miserably. If you're like me, you probably fail miserably daily if we just get honest about these things. A song we've recently started doing here is praying through the Beatitudes. And I mean those when I pray those earnestly. I pray those outside of here earnestly. And I pray those for you earnestly. I hope that you're praying those for yourself earnestly. And this week, as much as I've prayed for those opportunities, I've felt more failures than I did successes in the others. And yet he welcomes me back. And every time there is some small form and sense of success in those, all that I can truly see is that God's the one that did it. It's amazing to me that God is showing how he relates to his king, but then God is showing how he relates to his enemies. Beloved, can I tell you a simple truth about us? We either belong to the king or we either belong to the enemies. We either are faithful, loyal subjects that surely the psalm is mightily talking about King Jesus. I took some time to sit with Spurgeon yesterday and I was reading what some of the things that he communicated and he jumped so quickly as, as Spurgeon so well. I'm not critiquing him, but as he so well does, he's jumping to Jesus and showing how that it is King Jesus that is in this realm and how mightily that it is so. But beloved, let me take you back to Adam and Eve real quick. Do you know that Adam was supposed to be this king? That Adam was exactly supposed to be this king that is written up here. That every journey, everything that is said about this king in chapter 21, Adam was the first one that it was supposed to be. And as I've been telling you the last couple of weeks, that even when I'm reading First and Second Samuel, what I'm left with, if I titled the book or if I gave a main idea or something to the book, I would say the king is yet to come because I know that at the end of David's life, I'm left wanting that even as good as David has it, even as beautiful and as magnificent as this song is, there's some terrible notes that are to be played in David's life. Even as wonderful as your life may be right now, bad news is there may be some terrible points to it to go forward. That's rough to say. I don't want to say that. Is it blood? There may be some more low points. But every good symphony has the highs and the lows. I've been listening this morning to Miss Terry. She just had to put up with it. I don't know if she enjoyed it or not. But this morning I've been listening to some symphony music just to orient my brain to that and I've been listening to R.C. Sproul's and I would encourage you to go find it the sacred place of God Most High I would encourage you to go listen to it and it's set and there's an entire concert I was listening to part of the concert and it amazed me some points are really up here 
but some points are really down here. But beloved, when they got to the end, and they're singing in reference to Psalm 93 on this particular one, but at the end of the song, it's just they hit a higher chord. Sometimes in the songbook, especially the blue book, sometimes there's a chorus that's given a higher key that you go into and you play. How many times I've heard my mother direct a cantata or something like that, and they've sang the verses, they've sung the chorus, they sang the other verses, they sang the chorus. But then there's the second chorus. There's our, the third or the fourth chorus that comes in, and it's lifted up. Beloved, every now and then you and I need that in our lives. That Yes, King David has talked about what God has done for the king. King David has talked about what God has done for his, for, for his enemy, for God's enemies. And yet in verse 13 is where he lands it. He says, be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise that, beloved, if there is anything that we're supposed to glean from these psalms, especially this morning, we're supposed to glean that we're supposed to praise him and sing praises unto him and to rejoice in him and to praise his power. Is that, beloved, I don't know where this particular journey ends for you, but I pray this. Two stories have been, present, have been presented to you this morning. Do you know yourself to belong to the King Jesus? Or do you know yourself to belong to the Lord's enemies? There's only two options. There are those that belong to God, and there are those that don't belong to God. I wonder this morning which side are you on. I wonder this morning, are you one of his children, but you're walking away from him in some capacity? You know what you're supposed to do. You know is what the Proverbs do is they're teaching King Solomon. Ultimately, in so many of the ways, the Proverbs are key, teaching King Solomon how to be king. The king knows how to be king. The king knows what God is going to do, and yet King David failed. King Jesus is the only one that has ever successfully fulfilled every element of this. He is the one that filled full the law perfectly to its perfect capacities. You and I cannot, but we can rest in King Jesus, and we can do what King Jesus tells us to do. That's what we find ourselves as the enemies of God. Now we have the mercies of God in our life, not the judgment and the wrath of God in our life. If you trust in him, if you cling to him, if you're one of his and born again, Christ has borne every penalty upon that cross, that you shall not have to bear that penalty for sin. There may be some things in your life that you've done that you might have to bear the worldly consequences of. You know, I believe as much as I like to have a heavy foot, that I believe God's going to forgive me for speeding. I'm breaking the law of man. I need to do better about that. Yeah, I'm a bit convicted about that one this morning. It's not feeling too nice. But as much as I believe God's going to convict, convict me of my sin and forgive me of my sin, I might still have to pay the ticket down here on earth. But beloved, the forgiveness of the sin aspect of it, God has forgiven me of all things. Beloved, that takes a lifetime to learn to rest in. Some of you have been walking this journey a lot longer than me. I'm wondering, would you talk to me about what it's like in your book? To know that God has forgiven you, but you still mess up, but you can come to him time and time again. One thing about King David that I love is presented in these psalms. He just keeps coming back to God. I don't want to spoil it, but Psalm 22 begins with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet, even as much as King David declares, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Would you look to the rest of Psalm 22 and see if he still believes in God? Beloved, every one of these psalms is telling a story. You're living a symphony for God. I don't know if you're in one of the major chords or if you're playing the minor chords right now, but I know that your story ultimately belongs to God. I know that he is both the author of our faith and he is the finisher of our faith and that whatever may come, we can rest and rejoice 
and proclaim in his strength, in his excellencies, in his power. May we do so this morning and for every journey of our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this blessed song. We pray that you be with us all. We pray that we would be in the position with your king, Father. We pray that we would be those that are submitted to you and rejoicing gladly in you. We pray that we would not be numbered among your enemies this morning, O oh God. But that, Father, we would rest and trust in you. That, God, even as colossally as we mess up, God, may we come to you in faith, trusting you again, Father, that we may once again praise you for your excellencies, for your great strength, for your great power. Lord, we pray all these things in thy Son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen.